TJ. TJ is one of our tribe leaders. It used to say beekeeper up there, and we were upset that that got taken down, but he's a fantastic beekeeper as well. An insect farmer, as we like to say. But insect farmer. TJ is going to bring us the word this morning. Um, can't wait to hear it. Uh, no, I don't sit. We'll leave that. That's Daniel's thing. Good morning, everyone. Um, yeah, I'll take some. Yeah, thanks. Good morning. All right, this morning we're going to be looking at Hebrews 8. I'll give you a second to turn there in your Bibles. I've really enjoyed the prep for this, uh, this chapter. It, you know, in my own personal life, I don't usually spend so much time in one place in the Bible, and when I'm preaching, it kind of forces me to, to stay camped out in one place, and I'm always surprised by um, the depths of it and, and how much it, it can impact me. And, and so I'm really excited to go through this chapter with you guys here this morning, chapter 8. Um, and for those of you who are able, while we, while we read this chapter, I'd ask that you stand for the reading of God's Word. Okay. Hebrews chapter 8. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if we were on earth, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second, for he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on that day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each other, uh, one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Okay, you can have a seat. Now, I love the way this passage starts off. And it's easy to to kind of read over it But he says, now the point in what we are saying is this. And I love this because this is something I say from time to time, or at least something similar to it. I tend to have this kind of stream of consciousness way of thinking, and that tends to come out in the way that I communicate. 
And um, so I love metaphors and I love illustrations and, and I like to use hyperbole when I'm talking. And uh, sometimes I'll come home from work and my wife will ask me a simple question, you know, how was your day? How are things going? And she'll just kind of smile and look, at, look up at me and, and I'll start kind of retracing kind of my thought process through the day and, and things I was working through. And a lot of times at work, I'm working with my hands and I'm doing stuff that's kind of repetitive and I actually like that. But it gives me a lot of time to think, and so rather than just telling her physically what I did, I, I tend to take her on this journey of my thought process through the day. And, uh, and usually it's about an hour into this when uh, I'm kind of going on about these big existential questions of, like, what is the meaning of life? Why are we here? I'll kind of look over to her and, and, and notice that she's just crying, and this is a true story. This has actually happened, especially early on in our marriage. And I'll just kind of look at her in shock for a minute and be like, what happened? Like, what, where do you go? And, and she'll look at me and sometimes she'll just say, like, I just don't understand why you're so unhappy. I'll look at her for a second and say, like, unhappy? What are you talking about? Oh, oh, wait a minute. I said, you must have got stuck back here somewhere, right? Probably when I was talking about the impending apocalypse or the meaninglessness of life. You probably got stuck there. But that was just part of this process that I have you on. Hang on a second. Forget that for a minute. Here's the point. This is what I'm trying to tell you. This is what I'm trying to communicate to you. And, and usually it's something like, you know, yeah, sure, I, I talked about all this stuff. But I, I, I'm trying to tell you that... I found this contentment in life, and I'm just so happy about, you know, our simple and, and beautiful life we have together, and I, I've come to realize that no matter what happens out there, we'll be okay together. That's what I'm trying to tell you, and I just kind of look tenderly at her, and she'll look up at me, and eyes wet with tears, and say, then why didn't you just say that? Uh, <laughs> and she'll usually just kind of, uh, you know, I just, I just asked you how your day went. And she'll march off and try to figure out how on earth I got there from, from everything I said. Believe it or not, I think something similar is going on in our passage this morning. He says, now the point in what we are saying is this. Look, he's been going on for a little while now. And we've talked about, you know, the priesthood. We've talked about the tabernacle. Now we're talking about this guy Melchizedek. And you kind of have to wonder, remember, this is the original sermon, and we've had some pa- our pastors really break this down for us and explain it. And a lot of these guys had the background already, but you still have to wonder if some of them were just looking around and saying, what on earth is he even talking about anymore? You know, why are we talking about all these different things? And he's pulling in all these illustrations, but he's trying to make a point. And so he takes this second to stop, and he just says, now listen. Here's the point. This is what I'm trying to say. And this is this invitation back into the conversation. And, and if, so if this describes any of us here this morning, if you've ever wondered, you know, we've been working through Hebrews for a little while now. And if you've ever been here and just wondered, like, what are we, what are we talking about? What's the point? We do well to listen up because he's going to invite us back into the conversation. So here's the point. What is the point? Well, he tells us, he says, we have such a high priest He's a better high priest. And, and this better high priest serves in this true tabernacle of which the earthly one is just a shadow and a copy. It's a better tabernacle. And from this place, he is mediating for us a better covenant. And this covenant is better because it's based on better promises. And of course, Jesus is that better high priest. Jesus is better. That's 
the point. And that has been the point we've returned to week in and week out as we've worked our way through this book that can be difficult at at times. It's what's grounded us, right? And this has been our theme. And and we're going to continue this theme this morning um, of Jesus being better. And specifically, we're going to talk about how Jesus is a mediator of a better covenant. And we're going to talk about what makes this covenant so much better. What are these promises that that are given to us in this covenant that are better. But before we do that, we have some ground to cover first. And the first question I think we have to answer is, first of all, what is a covenant? And simply put, a covenant is just a binding agreement where each party has an obligation to the other party. Okay, it goes both ways. I do this, you do that, we have a covenant together. And there are many examples of covenants throughout the Bible... But this morning we're talking about the new covenant in contrast with the old covenant. And so there's one particular covenant we should have in mind here when we think of the old covenant. And that is the covenant that God made with the people of Israel through the mediator Moses. God rescues this people out of bondage and slavery in Egypt. And he brings them out into the wilderness. And they come to the foot of this mountain, Mount Sinai. And God is going to meet with the people in order to enter into this covenant with them. And the people say... No way. We're not going before God lest we die. So Moses, you go for us. So he does. Moses goes up the mountain and he meets with God and they're going to enter into this covenant. And God says, I will be your God and you will be my people. Remember, this goes both ways. God says, I will provide for you. I will protect you. I will lead you. And I'm going to bring you into this good promised land. That's that's God's part of the bargain. And then he he gives them these laws. He says, you're going to be my people. You're going to live in my presence. You're going to be a holy people separated to me. And this is what it looks like to be my people. And he gives them these laws. And there are a lot of laws here, most famous of which are the Ten Commandments. And many of us are familiar with the Ten Commandments. Um, These are covenant stipulations. It's what it looked like for the people to uphold their end of the bargain in this covenant. We see things like you can't have other gods before the true God. You can't make idols and bow down and worship them, right? You know, there's this holy day, the Sabbath that you have to keep holy. Don't murder, don't covet, don't commit adultery. This is what it looked like to be God's people. And the story goes on, and we don't have to go very far, right, before we see that the people break this covenant. They break it. Before Moses can even come down from the mountain, the people are making this golden calf and bowing down and worshiping it didn't take them very long. They broke the covenant. And as we read the rest of the Old Testament, this story unfolds and we just see them continue to be faithless. God is faithful to his end of the bargain. He brings them into this good promised land and then they cover every high place throughout the land with these these places of worship to false gods. It gets so bad that they set up places of worship to false gods in the temple itself, which is the place of worship to the true God where his presence would dwell. A king of Israel even sacrifices one of his children to a false god. I mean, it's awful, and their faithlessness just seems to have no bounds, and it gets worse and worse and worse. And it gets worse, but, but many of us have heard this story how many times? Even as I'm saying it, you guys are probably like, okay, yes, we've heard this, we know. Um, and we've, I think some of us have become somewhat callous to it. We don't feel the injustice of it the way we should anymore. And there's something that has brought this into a new light for me. And there's this passage that I'm going to paraphrase for you. It's, it's Ezekiel 16. And in this passage, God tells us, he tells a story. 
And he tells us from his perspective what it looked like, what it felt like for his people to break his covenant. In Ezekiel 16, we see a new um, mother and father. They had this newborn baby girl. And this should be a time of great celebration, but they didn't want her. They didn't want her. And, And tragically, they decide to abandon her. She's still covered in blood from the birth. Her umbilical cord hasn't even been cut. And they leave her naked out in the wild, surrendered by herself. And it's tragic, and she's left there. And then God finds this child, and he says to this child, live, live. And he sees to it that this child is provided for and taken care of, and she grows up. And God finds this 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 girl again, and now she has grown into this young woman, and he just lavishes it on her. He gives her expensive jewelry. He gives her the finest clothing, and he loves her, and he takes her to be his bride. And she is this beautiful young woman, absolutely stunning, his queen. And she knows she's beautiful. She knows she's beautiful, and she begins to use her beauty to attract these other lovers. And, and this goes on for a while, and, and she gets more and more brazen about it. She'll actually start going out in public, and it says she will go by the roadsides and wait for these people who are passing by in order to give herself away to everyone who passes by. It gets worse. Not only, it's not enough for her to wait for people to come to her. So she will start using the wealth that she had been given in order to lure other people to her. Unlike a prostitute who might receive payment, In order to give herself away, she will actually use the wealth she had been given to bring more of these illicit lovers to her. It goes on and on, and she's just unashamed, doesn't even hide it. And so finally, God comes to her, and he says, you have broken our marriage. You've broken our marriage vows. We made these vows together, and you broke them, and you continue to break them. And I would forgive you, but you will not repent. And so you're going to continue in this? There's nothing left of our marriage. Our home is broken, and you can't stay here. You have to go. You have to go, and you have to leave just as you came, naked with nothing. This is what you've done. And we think that's the end of the story. We think it's this, it's this rags to riches story and then a fall from grace. And she gets what she deserves and she leaves. But this isn't the end of the story because even as he's sending her away, as he's right to do so, he makes her this promise and he says, but this isn't the end. Even though I'm sending you away for what you've done and what you continue to do, Even still, I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to come for you. I love you, and we will be together again. I'm going to make new marriage vows to you. I'm going to make a new covenant with you, and we will be together again. We will be in love again. And he does not give up on her. And with that, she leaves. And this this story is meant to parallel God's relationship with his covenant people. They were faithless to him. And so they, they were exiled from this promised land that he was faithful in bringing them to. But even as he sends them away, he makes them this promise. This isn't the end. I'm going to make a new covenant with you. And we'll be together again. And this promise of a new covenant is given to us in, through the prophet Jeremiah. It's actually in Jeremiah 31, starting at verse 31. But we're not going to turn there this morning because... 
we're going to go back to Hebrews 8 now. In Hebrews 8, verse 8, to almost the end of the chapter, this is the same passage from Jeremiah. When the people were being exiled because of their faithlessness, and God makes this promise to them that he will make a new covenant, our author in Hebrews just quotes that promise of a new covenant. It's the same passage. And so we read it earlier, but I'm going to read it again. You know, um, starting in verse 8, for he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, right? They broke it. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord. This is the new covenant. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will be merciful toward their iniquities. And I will remember their sins no more. Okay, earlier in our passage, remember, what's the point? The point is Jesus mediates this better covenant for us because it's based on better promises. We're told that there are better promises within this covenant for us. And so now we're going to spend some time and just kind of work through this and say, what are the promises that are given to us here? And we're going to find three here, and I'll tell them to you right up front so you know what we're looking for. The first promise we're going to find in here is that of the promise of true heart change. We're also promised to have intimacy with God, and we're promised complete forgiveness of sins. That's the rest of the sermon. That's where we're camping out for the rest of the morning. And we're just going to kind of look into that and see what that means for us. So let's look at the first one. Where am I getting this from? If we look at verse 10, uh, about halfway through verse 10, it says, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. You see... In the old covenant, there were these laws to obey, and there was all these external behaviors that were expected of the people. But their hearts were oftentimes in rebellion against God, and it was only a matter of time before their hearts being turned away from God led to disobedience of the law. And in this new covenant, God is saying he will actually come and heal our hearts so that we desire his law. And and this is a beautiful thing. Why is this a better promise? This is better because every single one of us, everyone in this room, myself included, wants to be happy. And the truth is our hearts and our minds get so distorted sometimes that we, we, we think the wrong things will make us happy. And we do these things even if we know they're going to hurt us because given the options we have, somehow it gets twisted in our head that this is the thing that ultimately is going to be the best choice, the best path towards happiness. And frankly, most of the time we're just wrong. And, and what God is saying that in our hearts, are, our hearts are broken and we're in rebellion against God. And because of that, we pursue all these things that will never fulfill us. And God is saying he's going to heal our broken hearts so that we see him and we desire him as we should so that we can find him and find what we've always been looking for, the fulfillment, the happiness. We were made to be in relationship with him. So the first step in this, in this covenant is that we will have our hearts healed and we will desire him and his law and his goodness. And this leads us right into our next promise, right? Intimacy with God. We're going to find this at the end of verse 10 and verse 11 when he says, I will be their God and they shall be my people and they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. 
You see, in the Old Covenant, only specific people were said to have had this personal relationship with God. We're told some of the prophets were filled with the Holy Spirit and were able to have this relationship with God. Some of the kings were anointed with the Holy Spirit. That wasn't something that everyone experienced. In the New Covenant, it says that everyone who enters into this covenant relationship with God will have a personal relationship with him. And why is this better? Remember, the people at Sinai didn't want that personal relationship. They're like, no way we're not going before God. You go for us. They didn't want it. And yet, fast forward, Paul says in Galatians that our spirits are crying out for God, saying, Abba, Father. Abba being an intimate name for Father. Daddy. How do we, how, how do we get there? It's this promise that we can have intimacy with God. And, and I need to be, I want to take a second and pause here because we're calling God Abba, Father. And unfortunately, too often, we have a distorted view of parenthood, and then we project that view of parenthood onto God when we call him our father. Here's an example. Too often, I'm tired at the end of the day, and I want to read for like five minutes. I just want to do something, work on something, and my kids are arguing, and what do I do? I I slam the book down, I march into their bedroom and say, can you guys just hold it together for five minutes? Five, like, can you just obey the rules and stop bickering for five minutes so that I can do, get back and do this thing? How often do we think of God that way? That God is up in heaven and we're down here and things are going well for a while and then we start fighting and disobeying the rules and now God's got to march down from heaven, get us in line and say, do you guys not understand that I'm God and I have more important things to do? Can you hold it together so I can get back to heaven and do what I need to do? Okay? And then we will see him again next time we step out of line. That's not what we're being promised here. He's saying, I'm going to heal your hearts. I'm going to make you desire to stop pursuing these other things that will never satisfy you. I'm going to bring you into my presence so that we can be together. God's not just waiting to strike you with lightning. He wants to be with you. He wants this relationship with you. And if you're obeying the law and missing out on this relationship piece, you're missing the point of the law. It's falling short. The laws provide the rules, the, the obeying God, the, the desire to do as God desires, provides the space within which we can have this intimacy with him and say, Abba, Father. So we do. We come into his presence. And the truth is, like the people of Israel, we've done a lot of things wrong. And we carry a lot of baggage with us. We have this guilt and this shame And so when we come into his presence, in Hebrews at another point, it says that we're naked before God. He sees it all and yet come boldly before the throne, even though he sees it all because we're promised forgiveness of sins, complete forgiveness of sins. Without this promise, the promise of intimacy with God wouldn't be as encouraging. We'd probably be like the one saying we don't want to go. Okay, but we are promised complete forgiveness of sins. In the Old Covenant, there were always more sacrifices to be made. Always more sin, always more sacrifice. It never ended. What are we told in Hebrews? Jesus is our better high priest. Remember, right right in the beginning, we're told he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Priests on duty did not sit down. There was always more work. Our high priest, our better high priest, offered one sacrifice once for all, and he sat down, work finished. We can have complete forgiveness of sins. Why is this better than the old covenant? Listen to Paul. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Nothing you've done, nothing you will do. You are not going to exhaust God's grace. We can experience complete forgiveness of sins. So 
Those are the promises. True heart change. Your broken heart can be healed. You can desire the things that are good for you. And that will lead you to intimacy with God, where you don't have to just get in line so that God can get back to his more important things he needs to do. No, God wants to be with you. And you can have complete forgiveness of sins. You don't have to carry around the weight of all your past mistakes. You don't have to worry that you might do something that will exhaust God's grace. You are forgiven, even of the things you can't seem to forgive yourself for. It covers it all. And here's, here's the question for us this morning. Are these promises for us today, or are these something we're still waiting for at some point in the future? And I think the answer to that is actually a difficult one in a sense. I think it's one of those times where we see this um, already, not yet thing going on. And where am I getting that from? The last verse in Hebrews 8 says, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. There's this process going on here. Okay? And I think this matches with our experience, right? The truth is, many of us who have entered into this relationship with God have experienced this true heart change. There are things that we know aren't good for us that we just don't desire anymore, and we see God, and we desire him, and we want this relationship with him in a way that we never did before. And yet, how often is there this war going on inside us where, like Paul, again, we say, I do the things I don't want to do, and I, and I want to do these things, but I don't do them, and I don't understand my heart. There's this war between the flesh and the spirit. And so... Is this promise for us today? Yes, your heart can be changed. Your broken heart can be healed. And yet there's still this war going on. What about intimacy with God? Again, I think a lot of us have had these times where we can feel God's presence in this this tangible way, this experiential way where we know he is there. He's with us. And it's so real to us. And how quickly that can fade. And, and some of us would even experience at times this, this thing that has been called the dark night of the soul, where God's presence just seems like it is non-existent. It's unreachable. He seems out of reach. Even if you don't stop believing he exists, his existence doesn't seem to bring any form of comfort to you. But there's been these times where that promise was so real, and you had this intimate relationship with him. What's going on here? Is, it, is this promise for us today, or is it not yet? What about complete forgiveness of sins? This is important. Listen, if you are in Christ, the answer is yes already. Your sins are forgiven, finally. They're dealt with. And yet, how many of us still carry around our burdens? How many of us still have shame over things we've done? How many of us have these memories that when they come back, you just stop for a second and it just stuns you? And you still carry that with you and it just comes up from time to time. What's going on here? It's already and not yet. It is already. And here's why. We're told that Jesus went to the cross. And before he died on the cross, he had this meal with his disciples. And when he's talking to his disciples here, I think there's an element here that maybe some of us have missed before. He takes the bread and he says, this is my body broken for you. Take this in remembrance of me. And then when he takes the wine, he says something here I've overlooked sometimes. And he says, this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you. He took the wine and he said that as he's about to go to the cross and die, that his blood would be poured out as the blood of the new covenant, referencing this 
prophecy in Jeremiah about this new and better covenant. So what's this about? What is the blood of the covenant? What does that even mean? Well, any time a covenant was made, a sacrifice would be given. It was called to cut a covenant. You would offer the sacrifice, and that sacrifice would ratify the covenant. And Jesus is saying here, this better covenant that was promised to you, I am going to the cross to be the sacrifice to initiate it, to ratify it, to win for you these better promises. That is what I'm going to do. And Jesus did go to the cross, and he did die on the cross as a sacrifice, and he did win for us these promises. It is already, and it is available to us today. Jesus' work on the cross is finished. That's it. But the Holy Spirit is still doing the work of applying these promises to us. We are what are unfinished. Not Christ's work on the cross, but we have another promise elsewhere in Scripture that he who started a good work in us will finish it. He'll finish that good work of applying these promises to us. And he will finish it on that day that he promised would come, the day when he returns to restore all things. This is another promise. He's going to restore all things, including us. Including us, his wayward bride. You remember the story in Ezekiel 16 of this wayward bride. That story picks up again later in the Bible. And it's finished in Revelation 19. I'm going to read the end of verse 6 to 8 here. It says, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. We see this wayward bride again. And now she has been brought back just as God had promised. We see her, and look at these promises being fulfilled, these promises of the new covenant. Her broken heart, her wayward heart that pursued all these other lovers has been healed. And we see her, her heart is changed, and her desire is for her husband. Here on her wedding day, she is experiencing intimacy with him. And despite all that she had done, do you remember how bad it got? Despite everything she had done, despite how faithless she was, it says that she is wearing the purest white. She has been forgiven. He will remember what she has done no more. And this is our story as God's covenant people. Rags to riches, fall from grace, and finally, redemption. And it's a beautiful story of God's faithfulness. And as we prepare now to take the bread and the wine, let us remember Christ's body broken for us and the blood of the new covenant poured out to win for us these promises. Now the point in what we are saying is this. Here's the point. We have such a high priest and he is a better high priest. And our high priest is mediating for us a better covenant. A better covenant based on better promises. True heart change, intimacy with God, and complete forgiveness of sins are ours in Christ because of his work on the cross. Jesus is better. That's the point. Let's pray. Lord, Lord, prepare our hearts to come to the table. Do what you promised. Heal our broken hearts. Help us to desire you as we should. And in desiring you, may we find you. Not in absence.